Okay, well again, good morning. We are in Philippians chapter 4 today. Uh, chapter 1, one of the big things that we discussed, and there were a lot of things we discussed in chapter 1, so much so that we spent two weeks uh, looking at 30 verses. One of the things is the, the big key verse, verse 21 of chapter 1, where he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That gives us a very early perspective that Paul had on the work that he was engaged in and the, 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 the valuable thing that he had to say to us that no matter what happens in my life, whether I live for another 20 years or I die tomorrow, it's a gain, it's for Christ, it's for a good purpose, everything's going to work out. Chapter 2 uh, he began, and this was where Brother Bill taught us a couple of weeks ago, by talking about the mindset of Jesus, and where he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 5, was the idea of looking out for the interests of others before we look out for our own interests. Uh, we closed chapter 2 by looking at the example of Epaphroditus. We're going to come back and probably talk about him just a little bit today how he was sick almost to the point of death for the cause of Christ. Last week, we talked about chapter 3, and we talked about a number of things about how Paul could have considered himself and did consider himself a Jew of Jews, but yet he says, all those things that were at one point valuable to me, I count them as rubbish or as trash for the fact that I am doing what God wants to do wants me to do is more important than my past. And in fact, he talked about our citizenship being in heaven. That's where we kind of ended up there in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And then he ended, we ended in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, stand fast. We talked about what that meant. And that brings us to the final chapter of the book of Philippians, chapter 4, is where we're going to be together today. All right. Let's go ahead and read the first uh, verses 2 through 7, and then we're going to come back and make some observations about the text. Verses 2 through 7. He says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So uh, familiar language, very beautiful language. Uh, verse 4, we'll talk about in a moment, is uh, probably one of the most memorized verses of Philippians, let alone the, the New Testament. Uh, just very uh, great. Let's talk, though, about, we've hinted at this over the last three weeks, that the church at Philippi, there's a lot of positive things said to them and said about them. And Paul shared a very special relationship with these Christians but there are, it, there was, at least it seems, some issue that was dividing some of the brethren. And that there were a couple of sisters here who, for whatever reason, 
were having some difficulty getting along with each other or uh, being united in the cause. And he doesn't elaborate on that. And I think that one of the reasons that maybe, and this is just some speculation, that when Paul, by way of the Holy Spirit, chooses to not go into detail about a problem, whether that be a problem that these two women were uh, dealing with, or whether that be a problem that he was dealing with, I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 now, that it makes it more applicable to us in the sense that there's a big blank where you can fill in your own challenge or fill in your own interpersonal relationship difficulty. That being said, the application is huge, and this is the thing that I came up with, that we, we sing about being one, we talk about being united, we read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, where it talks about the importance of unity. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we talk about unity a lot, and we pray about unity a lot. And uh, Ephesians 4, verse 3 always jumps out to me because probably some 25 years ago, um, a man whom, for whom I have a lot of respect, who served as an elder of the church, said, to me, that's one of the most important jobs of elders, is Ephesians 4, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, trying to make sure that we are all with one with each other. And of course, that involves keeping false doctrine away, keeping the ravenous wolves away, it involves a lot of different things. But he says, be of the same mind. This is not the first time that Paul has talked about this concept of, of being of the same mind. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. Last week in chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. So this is a very, uh, very Pauline concept, uh, whether it be to the church at Philippi or whether it be to other churches that he addresses. Any thoughts on that? Because we could spend probably the rest of our time just talking about interpersonal relationships that sometimes get a little bit challenging. You would like to think, I would like to think, but we know the reality, that once we become Christians, we shed ourselves of all the differences that we would otherwise have with one another. Uh, but that's not the case, is it? Sometimes we have differences and we have disagreements and we uh, get disgruntled with one another and we have those uh, issues with one another. Thoughts on that um, before we move on? This is a very early opportunity for applications. Uh, Brother John uh, has something here. Uh, Cameron, thank you, Cameron. It, it may be that, that these two ladies there in verse 2 are not completely open applying what he taught in chapter 2, said yep. or other more important stuff. Uh, there's no indication that it was a doctrinal issue, although I guess it, it could have been, but for some reason they weren't getting along exactly as they should. And applying the concepts in chapter 2 would have, would have fixed that. Excellent observation. And that's one of the great things that we can do in studying these epistles, especially the, the, the Colossians and Philemon that we're dealing with here. Uh, in addition to Philippians next week, Lord willing, we'll get into Colossians, is that oftentimes if you put into practice what was in the first two chapters or first chapter or two, you can avoid some of the problems that 
appear in the latter chapters. And I like the way John presented that, that it may be that they weren't putting those things into practice from Philippians chapter 2. Um, and I like the other point that, that John made. We could just kind of touch on this. Again, we could spend a lot of time on it, but we're, we're going to advance on here in just a second. Uh, there's, a, there's a difference between having a disagreement over a matter of doctrine versus a matter of opinion. And I think we all understand that. That, you know, an eldership can't say, well, half the congregation agrees that baptism is necessary and half the congregation agrees that baptism is, or argues that baptism is not necessary. But the Bible says we're all supposed to get along, so we're just not going to address it. We would all say, well, no, that's, you've got to address that. You've got to teach on that. You've got to make sure that you are united when it comes to basic matters of doctrine. However, when there are disagreements over relationships, over the way someone spoke or the way they said something, those are, those are tough issues. And um, there have been numerous times, as I'm sure you would agree, that I've said, well, I'm sure glad that we've got shepherds that can help with that because I, I, um, I'd rather not deal with it myself. And if you've been in a church where you've had men's business meetings, uh, they can be challenging sometimes uh, to sit around a table of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten men and deal with those things. So. Uh, okay, let's go ahead then to verse 4. Uh, this is really the central message uh, where Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, where he says, be joyous. And remember that he uses the term rejoicing, I believe, either eight or nine times. You have to go back and look at my notes from last week in the King, in New King James Version. But joy should be central to everything that we are and everything that we become. And that's in spite of our own imprisonment, Paul writing from prison, of course, and in spite of challenging interpersonal relationships. So I thought about him saying this right after he's talking about the challenge with these women in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Uh, and no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what challenges we face, we are to be a people of joy. So joy is not dependent on a person's situation in life. I can't say, well, I would be more joyous, but right now, blank. Paul says, be joyous even though your blank is filled with stuff that's not so much fun and you are facing some challenges. And, I, and you think about that perspective, that's a very much Paul statement that he makes. Um, and then verse 5, you could, you could outline the first uh, seven or eight verses by the B's. Uh, be joyous, uh, be united, and then be gentle here in verse 5. Be gentle to all. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 came to mind. And I put that on the screen. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. The idea that we are to be gentle to who? To all people. And it's easy to be gentle to someone that's gentle to us. It's easy to be nice to someone who's nice to us. But when someone is mean to you, boy, that's challenging to return niceness to them. When someone cuts you off, it's hard not to want to say, well, who do you think you are? 
when someone is mean to you or says something mean to you or maybe behind your back, we don't enjoy that, but we are supposed to be gentle. And the other thing is that gentleness or that meekness, which is the word the New King James uses in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is teaching really in the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes, is not a sign of weakness, but rather is a sign of strength. Um, and why does Paul say that we are to let our gentleness be known to all men? What's the rationale in the latter part of verse 5? He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. And then he follows that up by saying, the Lord is at hand. So I thought that the rationale behind this is, is we have to appreciate the fact that uh, some have suggested that Paul was writing to this church and saying, we don't know when the Lord is going to return. Maybe that's what he meant by that. If nothing else, we know that the Lord is at hand in a universal sense and that he knows all things. And so he'll know if you're gentle or know if you're not. Others may never know of your gentleness, of your kindness, of your meekness. But the Lord always knows these things. So uh, any thoughts on the first five verses before we move on? Yes, Brother John. And then we're going to go ahead and move on to verse 6 here and talk about anxiousness. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Of course, Paul is writing that from prison and still saying rejoice. And of course, the reason he could say that is in the end of verse 3. Talked about those whose names are written in the book of life. Absolutely. And uh, I think a good example of that is Paul himself back in uh, 2 Timothy 4, writing from prison again, knowing he was about to die, but was about verse 7, is it, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. So even in those dire circumstances, he could still rejoice. Excellent. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 is a really good parallel passage, one, because of the the place that he's writing from both emotionally and literally. And uh, John made reference to, he says, I, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And he referenced that concept of the crown. We just briefly touched on it last week in chapter four, verse one, uh, where he says, remember my crown, uh, my joy and my crown stand fast. So, okay, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about anxiousness for just a moment. Uh, be anxious for nothing is what verse 6 says for us. Uh, what does that mean to you when that says be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God? What does that mean to you, be anxious for nothing? God's in control. God's in control. Absolutely. Cast all your cares or all your anxiety on the Lord. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, right? Good. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 kind of come to mind as well. The idea of not just casting your care upon the Lord, but knowing that he's going to be there for you. So there are a lot of verses. So uh, seems to me that you are either a worrier, you are an anxious person, or you are not. Um, and some people have the gift of saying, you know what, I just, I'm not concerned about anything. And it's not that you throw caution to the wind. You say, spiritually, you're concerned. spiritually, we are concerned about certain things. We need to have that concern. And there's a difference between healthy concern, 
uh, when someone that you care about is sick or, you know, you're cautioned when you're driving or whatever the case may be versus this anxiousness that just seems to overtake a person. Um, absolutely. Uh, the NLT, which is a version that I very rarely read from, I came across this and I thought it was kind of interesting. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. I thought that was kind of a, a neat little synopsis of chapter 4, verse 6. Or ver- yeah, verse 6. Um, one of the things that sometimes we skip over as students of the Bible, although we probably don't uh, because we try to be very careful about studying God's word, but where he says, be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. You'll notice that I skipped a two-word phrase, right? And I did that on purpose. Uh, And as good Bible students, you say, wait a minute, there's something in there. And that is the importance of being thankful. So there is an imperative in being thankful in spite of everything that's going on. This reminds me, I may have told you this story before, but a good friend of mine who served as an elder of the church for a number of years, uh, he's 71 now, so he's young. And, um, and he talked about an occasion 20 years earlier where he had lost his job, didn't know how he was going to pay his bills, uh, of no fault of his own, not that he'd done something wrong, just the job folded up or whatever. And he says, I, he remembered, and he was telling me this privately, not in a public sense to say, look at me how, how good I am or whatever. But he, he went out and sat on his truck, kind of sounds like a country music song, a little bit, uh, with his dog. And he just prayed and thanked God for everything that he had given him. So he changed his entire perspective. Rather than saying, woe is me, what am I going to do? Please give me guidance, which isn't necessarily wrong. You know, if we lost our jobs, we might pray, please help me to find a job. And he says, I just went out there and I just focused on thanking God for all the good things that he had done and was doing for me. And things worked out pretty well for him. Uh, going forward. But there is something about being thankful in spite of all the different challenges that we are otherwise uh, enduring. Uh, Yes, over here to... Debbie, is it? Yes. Yes. All right. See, I'm working on my names here. I think it's important to recognize that our attitude during trying times can be a reflection to those around us. And our example is um, always out there for people to see. And it might bring people to God because of the way we're responding and being joyful and thankful during challenging times. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wrote that in my notes. That was good. So the importance of how we react and how we accept the challenges that come our way are teaching opportunities opportunities to show others by our example. That's really good. And then the last thing here in verse 7, then we're going to have to move on, uh, is verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We could spend a good 30 minutes just on that verse, but I just thought it was important to understand that it's beyond our comprehension. It reminds me of Ephesians 3, verse 20, and I'll just quickly glance over and read that verse so as not to misquote it. 
but it says to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So God is able to do things that are beyond our comprehension, beyond our imagination. And so when you have a tough situation at work or a tough interpersonal relationship with someone uh, within the church, when you have a tough uh, whatever medical situation, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask or comprehend. And that seems to me this concept here in verse 7, peace which goes beyond understanding. That's the peace that God grants to us. Anything else on the first seven verses before we move on? Uh, Brother Kerry in the, in the back here. And then we're going to spend a few moments talking about the half a dozen traits that we should think of. Brother Kerry. Uh, Leland, it just seemed to me that there's a contrast going on here. Verse 6 is the worry of man because man wants to be in control. So we have to put our anxiousness aside, realizing, as David said, God's in control, and that gives us peace when we realize God's in control. You know, that, that peace that God provides, you know, floods toward us. I like that. And I like the, the concept of the contrast between those two. Yeah. Good. Okay. Let's go ahead and I want to read verses 8 and 9. Uh, and I keep saying this, but you can spend an entire lesson just on verses 8 and 9. Um, but let's, let's spend five minutes on 8 and 9. Oh, that's not the way I, my screen, I wanted it to come out. Let's, 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 let's do it this way. There we go. All right, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So I've got the entire screen up there rather than going through it line by line. Let's actually go through the screen backwards. The, the, the very last point that I made is notice where, again, he comes back to this, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's kind of like you look at verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, and in the bookend, verse 9, the God of peace will be with you if you follow those things. Uh, what does it mean to meditate? When he says, the New King James says, meditate on these things. What does that mean to you? Let your mind dwell on these things. The idea of dwelling on something. Uh, I came across in the original language the idea of giving consideration attentively. So it's more than just thinking about it and then moving on but you let your mind I, I like the dwelling attentiveness to it what does that really mean so you you have here six different words or phrases and i've got the uh new king james on the left and i think uh i i think i checked with the esv um to see what the esv was and for example the second word noble is the idea of honorable but so think about what is true. Well, if you were going to really do that, if we were going to really meditate on truth, what's the opposite of truth? Well, that which is not true, that which is false, that which is either false doctrine 
or whether that be someone talking falsely about me, falsely about my brethren. Um, I want to think about true things, things that are, that are truthful and right. I want to think about honorable things, things that bring honor to God and things that bring honor to his power and to his name, the idea of nobility. What does it mean to be just, the third word there? What does that mean? What's a synonym for just? I, I thought about fairness, yeah. Uh, I, the idea of what is, if you want justice, you want fairness, right? Uh, a system of justice is supposed to be a system of fairness. Good. Uh, pure, the opposite of that is impure. Lovely um, would be uh, just this beautiful concept of that which is lovely and then of good report or commendable. I thought about the word reputation there. And I know we're kind of going through that very quickly here because we're up against some time here. And then verse 9 or, or verse 8, uh, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, virtue is the idea of excellence. Uh, someone who is virtuous, you might describe them as an excellent person. Not perfect, but excellent in the sense that they are trying to achieve the highest moral standard. And then praiseworthy, wherein someone is worthy of praise. Thoughts on, on that? We spent three minutes on what could be 30 minutes. But any of those terms jump out to you that, are, uh, that you wanted to talk about? For a moment. Brother Roger, all the way over here. Uh, and just keep in mind that these are things that we are not to just glance at, but to really dwell on. Let our minds dwell on these things. Brother Roger. Just looking at uh, verse 7, uh, guarding our heart. If we continually think on the things that are uh, lies or not honorable uh, not of good report or commendable, that are unpure, then our hearts will begin to, to leave the Lord. Our hearts should be tuned on these things to bring us closer to Him and to be able to love like our brothers. That. I like that. Very, very good. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of guarding our hearts because we, again, just glanced over that. Um, really appreciate that, Roger. Okay. Let's go ahead and then spend our final 15 minutes on the last uh, half of the chapter. Uh, Brother David had a sermon about six weeks ago that really delved into these verses. So I'm going to lean a little bit on what uh, he said. You can see that my PowerPoint didn't come up the way I wanted to. I'm giving away everything. So let's put it all up there. There we go. Let's go ahead and read verses 10 through 18. And read it together. This is a section that uh, when you're talking about um, the support that Paul received, the fellowship with which he uh, shared with the Philippians as well as other Christians and churches. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. There's the rejoicing again. That now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. 
Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now you, Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. All right, let's stop there, and we'll pick up in verse 19 here uh, in just a couple minutes. So he says, I rejoiced. There it is again. So Paul continually says, I'm rejoicing. By the way, just as an aside, remember back in verse 8 where he said, finally? Remember last week, chapter 3, verse 1, finally? So sometimes we, uh, we get excited. Finally, let me get this. No. Now, finally. But here he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly um, again. Verse 10, he says, your care. If you're like underlining things in your Bible, the word care just jumped out to me. Your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Sometimes, and this is kind of a, a quick application, sometimes caring is enough. Now, if you only care and you don't do anything to follow that up, that's not good enough. That violates the principle of James, right? Where he says, uh, if you say, be warm, be filled, and then you don't do anything about it, that's a problem. But sometimes you don't have the means to fix a problem. We, we want to be problem fixers. Sometimes you want to be there to uh, aid someone and you don't have the capacity whether you don't have the finances you don't have the time you don't, may not have the specialty to be able to help with that particular need but sometimes people just know that you're going to as they would say in, in ancient cultures sit in the mud with them where ancient cultures would someone would sit in the mud to show that they were in a place of distress and you don't know anything else just say, I'll just get in the mud with you uh, that, at least you're not alone. And so that may be all that we can do. So sometimes caring is, is enough. Um, verse 11, he says, I have learned, you might circle that word, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So contentment isn't something that comes naturally, but rather it is a learned state. And that goes back to something that we've discussed in chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. doesn't matter what state I'm in, I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be content, I'm going to rejoice. And I want you to do the same thing. Uh, I put up there 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, which you can go and, and read on your own. But that's where he talks, he's talking about uh, the, the, the love of money as being a danger, as being a root of all forms of evil. And he talks about the idea of contentment. Verse 12 in the NIV says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I thought that was kind of a... Uh, nice rendering of verse 12. Most of us don't use the word abased uh, too often today. Uh, so I thought that was kind of uh, important to, to highlight. 
Anything else on the first three verses of this last page here, this last paragraph? Adaptability. Yeah, sometimes we have to be adaptive. And uh, Paul was the, the epitome of that. Well, I suppose Jesus was the real example of that. But Paul is certainly the one who wrote so much of the New Testament. And he was adaptive. He said, put me in prison, I'll teach. Put me on a ship somewhere, I'll teach. Make the ship wreck, I'll teach. He said, it doesn't matter what happens, I'll, I'll teach. I'll use it as an example. Uh, and like Debbie said a few moments ago, and I wrote in my notes, the uh, examples that we set are those opportunities for teaching others. Okay, verse 13, the most quoted verse in all of Philippians and probably one of the three or four most quoted verses in all the New Testament. He says, I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that's not, that's not what he says, right? Good, you're paying attention. So he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why is that verse so resonant? Why, why are we so familiar with that verse? Why? And it's, it's a favorite verse of some who are here. Uh, years ago, with the congregation I did, I said, give me your favorite verse. And they all wrote them on index cards. And I would say that a good 20% of the congregation had Philippians 4.13 as one of their favorite verses. Why, is that, why does that resonate so much? It gives us hope. And without hope, we are hopeless. There's a reason that I'm teaching. That's how smart I am. Without hope, you have nothing, right? And that's very, very true. And that's, we have to have it. Someone once said, you can live a few minutes uh, without air. You can live a few days without food or water. But you can only live a few moments without hope because then it destroys you. Brother Joe, all the way over here, uh, Brother Cameron, uh, absolutely this idea of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Brother Joe. Uh, for, me, for me personally, I love this verse because I need it a lot uh, in my daily life. Uh, I think about it almost every day mm -hmm. because I need the strength. That Christ gives to to get me through work, to get me through just uh, my thoughts. I mean, just everything. Absolutely. And, uh, this verse, you know, is a really good verse to to memorize and and, right. and know. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I, you know, every day, like he says, every day he thinks about this verse because it is such a it's an easy verse to memorize. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But let us actually dwell on that. Okay. Uh, we're going to kind of speed through here. Nevertheless, you have done well, verse 14, that you have shared in my distress. Um, going back to chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of me with grace. Remember, we've talked about it now three or four times, but Philippians chapter 1 Verse 29 says, it has been granted for you to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. So we are sharing in this distress. So we share when someone uh, has good things happen. We rejoice with them and we weep with those who weep as well. Uh, 
Um, verses 15 through 17 seem to me to be kind of the three big verses that really help us to understand this special relationship that Paul had with the church at Philippi. And as a parallel passage, think about 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9 as well, where he talks about the, the generosity of those early saints. And then uh, verse 18, going back to what Brother Toronto said just a moment or so ago, the idea of adaptability, I used the word perspective. Uh, and it's the same concept that David uh, Toronto was talking about just a moment or so ago, where he says in verse 18, Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm not sure that that would be my perspective if I were in prison, especially for teaching the truth. I have all and I abound. I don't need anything else. I am content. I have learned to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. I don't want anything to stand in your way of rejoicing. What a powerful message. And only Paul could write that. Not that Peter or James or John couldn't write it, but only Paul can really make that message resonate. Rejoice. Be happy. Don't be anxious. Be thankful. Be prayerful. All right. Let's go ahead and read the last uh, five verses, verses 19 through 20. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a second. The brethren who are with me greet you. The saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So in verse 20, uh, the thing that jumped out to me is Paul keeping his focus where it needed to be. Uh, To God be glory forever and ever. So Paul is writing from prison. He's writing from a, a difficult situation. And rather than saying, look at me, look at the good that I have done, he says, all glory belongs to God. It stays with him. It must stay with him. Um, Verse 21. And I've talked about this before over the last uh, few months. I know I've mentioned it at least once or twice. But uh, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Are there times where saints don't do this? Verse 21, part A. Yes. Yes, there are, right? And that's... Uh, that's a problem. Uh, I've shared with you um, accounts of, I've known of Christians, not here in Tennessee, but in another state. I've known of one Christian who literally would walk past another Christian and would put up her hand like this because she doesn't want to see the other saint. Something's not right with that situation. It's not that that we have, we don't have to be I, I guess, in total agreement with everyone else's opinions, going back to what we talked about earlier in our study, and we can have our differences and be disagreeable in a respectful way, not on matters of doctrine, but on just on those interpersonal differences that we may have, but we at the very least can be kind and be respectful of one another, greet the saints. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting application to make very early. And then uh, verse 22, I just put up there, Wow. The idea that there were saints in Rome and in Caesar's household. That's, that's spectacular. Uh, that 
Paul's message had resonated enough to reach even that far. Okay, uh, we've got two minutes, well, we've got a minute left, so we're going to go through our applications here very quickly. I came up with one, two, three, four, five, six, I came up with seven, so here we go, we're going to go fast. We are one, nothing can stand in the way of our unity, I'm not talking about, um, well, yeah, competing doctrines, we can't allow that to get in our way as, as well, but including our interpersonal differences. Number two, joy and contentment is dependent on our situation, isn't dependent on our situation, but instead on our attitude. I should have put up there, isn't. Uh, be gentle. It's not a sign of weakness or a sign of, oh, look at me, I'm a pushover. Be a gentle man and a gentle woman. Be prayerful and thankful in all things. I'll send these to you if you want. Just let me know. Number five, the peace that God gives us is truly amazing and beyond understanding. We need to remember that, meditate on that. Sharing the gospel is a real blessing. So when we uh, see those reports, like we got one just a couple days ago uh, from Brother John about uh, work being done elsewhere that we are supporting, that's exciting. We get to share in that gospel share in that uh, fellowship and then never underestimate the power of Christian relationships going back to the idea of greeting every saint alright we're out of time thank you so much for your comments next week go ahead and read uh, the first chapter of Colossians and we'll pick up there Lord willing a week from today